Good morning, church family. It's great to be with you um, today. Uh, those of you that are sitting at home, you can't see, but uh, there are a handful of our church family, brothers and sisters, that are here this morning. And so it's, uh, it's good for the church to gather. And so I'm so glad to see uh, you here. Um, in case you didn't know, uh, we are actually opening up this as a space for folks who want to attend these sermon recordings. So if you're interested, you could contact one of our staff or the church office and, uh, and we'll get you all set up. This morning, we begin a new sermon series on spiritual warfare. and We're calling it The Unseen Battle. Let me throw out some statistics. 33,918,765 cases, 1,013,921 deaths globally, 7,408,793 cases, and 210,844 deaths here in the United States. Just let those numbers sink in. And then think about this. There is something that you and I can't see that makes you sick. That could kill you. There is something that you and I can't see that has destroyed families, that's destroyed economies, destroyed systems as well as institutions we are living through a time in which something that is invisible to the human eye a world of viruses has completely upended the way that we do life something that is unseen to the human eye has brought devastation physically, mentally, emotionally, and economically. COVID has reminded all of us that there is an invisible world that is very much impacting our visible world. The rub comes, though, when we talk about this in the spiritual realm bring up the topic of spiritual warfare and the tone shifts. There's skepticism, there's cynicism, and I'm talking about amongst Christians. And yet what the Bible says is that there is an invisible world church. There is an unseen world that doesn't just simply impact us physically, but it impacts our thinking, it impacts our worldviews, it impacts our attitudes about sex, about finances, about people of other races, about marriages, yes, about how a nation governs. It impacts everything about us. And make no mistake about it, the impact of this unseen world is not just physically life-threatening, it is spiritually life-threatening, it is relationally life-threatening. It can destroy your spiritual life. It can destroy your marriage. It can destroy churches. As some of you, even so as you're sitting here, are going, finally, we're talking about spiritual warfare. I was beginning to wonder if the church even believed in spiritual warfare. And I'm so glad we're talking about this. But there are also some of us who are saying, Peter, that's just difficult to believe, though. 
I mean, I've been a Christian for a while, but world of demons and Satan and supernatural evil. I mean, come on. Love your your enemies? Yes. Love your neighbor? Yes. Care for the poor? Yes. Live justly? Yes. But an invisible, unseen world of demons and Satan and supernatural evil? Listen, the sheer volume of scripture that talks about this is staggering, both in the Old Testament and New. Jesus explicitly mentioned Satan. Did you know this? And says, I saw him fall. I was there. There's an account of Jesus personally encountering Satan and all the gospel uh, writers account for it. And up to 25% of Jesus' actions, parables, and miracles has to do with demons and evil spirits. The Bible just assumes that there is an invisible world that is just as real as the visible world. The Bible just assumes that there is a world that you can't see, but it's as real as touching your skin. It's just as real as eating food. It's just as real as hugging your kids and just as real as kissing your loved ones. And what happens in the invisible world, listen, directly impacts the visible world. There is an invisible world that intersects with the physical world and we live in the intersection. There is an unseen battle that is waged for your soul. There is an unseen battle that is waging war against God's good created order. And its one aim is to steal and to kill and to destroy. For some of us, though, you don't need a microscope to see it. All you need is a rear view mirror. Come on, I'm talking to you. There's some of us, you don't. as you and I look back, as sometimes I do, on some of the decisions we've made, some of the actions that we took in the past. And, and as you look back on hindsight, you go, what was I thinking? How could I have been so confused? How could I have been so deceived? How did I think that was a good idea when I'm looking back? That was a terrible idea. How did I think that was a good thing to do when I'm looking, when looking back? And maybe now, today, you're living with the consequences of that, right? And now again, with hindsight, things are clear. But back then, you're going, when I was with him, when I was with her, when I was alone with them, I thought it was the right thing to do. How could I have been so foolish? Even more sobering is when you think about this as a society and as a culture. Think about just in the last century and the kind of devastation and destruction that humanity has caused. And you think, what were we thinking? Slavery? The Holocaust? Genocide? Entire groups of people? Human trafficking? I mean, even to think about decisions that people have made that's led to injustice, oppression, and destruction, and and deaths of millions upon millions of people. And you go, what were we thinking? How could we have ever thought that that was okay? How could we have supported that? How could we have thought that that was the right thing to do? And the Bible answers that for us. The Bible says that there is an invisible world that is waging war against you and me. And this is strong language, 
But there is an invisible war and forces that are out to terrorize your soul, render you completely impotent as a believer, make you worthless to the cause of Christ, and make your life one of misery and spiritual defeat. And I don't need to convince some of you listening today because you're going, he's talking about me. These enemies are real, they're smart, they're crafty, they've been around for thousands of years, and one of the ways they exercise their power is by making us believe that they don't exist. You and I just go, it's just him, it's just the spouse, just the kids, just the boss, just systems and policy, and so on and so forth. And as long as they have us believing that they don't exist, and we can explain it away in terms of natural causes, they have us exactly where they want us to be. Let me ask you something. When is the last time you consider that some struggle or conflict in your life, that the roots of that could be spiritual warfare, demonic opposition? See, the first step is becoming aware of the battle. Because if you don't even know that there's a battle, like some of us, then you'll never win it. So let me ask you again. When is the last time, as you looked at your marriage struggles right now, Things go well for a while. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this massive tension and fighting and, and mistrust that comes out of nowhere. When is the last time you thought, could this be spiritual warfare? When is the last time you have a roommate and things are going just fine and then all of a sudden that relationship just turns south? When's the last time you thought, maybe, maybe there's some demonic opposition? How about some of us? Ever, out of nowhere, there is a dark cloud of heaviness emotionally, mentally, anybody that just kind of hangs over you. Just out of nowhere, you're just going, where, where, where is this coming from? And for some of us, you're doing well spiritually and then just an intense, powerful desire to lust. Where's it coming from? Maybe for some of us, you're sitting there and you're dealing with some anger and bitterness and lack of forgiveness and it's consuming you. It's literally consuming you. When is the last time you just paused and thought, could this be spiritual warfare and demonic opposition? Here's what we're going to do, okay? What we're going to do as we enter this series is most of today and next week... I'm going to just lay out some overarching principles from Ephesians 6, which is kind of the anchoring passage, but we're going to be all over the Bible, so have your Bibles ready. Today's just an introduction, as I like to say, and I'm going to lay out some broad principles, which means that there are going to be, but Peter, what about, and what about? There are lots of questions, and that's what I'm hoping that you will have, that you'll walk away with, that we'll address. And then next, after next week, we'll spend a couple of weeks looking at the enemy, Satan. If you don't know who your enemy is and how he works, how in the world are we going to win this fight? So we're going to look at the enemy and his tactics. And after that, we're going to look at some time, significant time looking at the spiritual armor. The various resources that God provides for us to be able to overcome and win this battle. Then we're going to end with talking about the importance of prayer. And the role of intercessory prayer in spiritual warfare. And we are going to see this powerful principle that power falls where prayer prevails. Say that with me. Power falls where prayer 
prevails. One more time. Power falls where prayer prevails. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. So turn your Bibles there. And as you're turning, let me give you the context. Because one of the things, if you want to be a good Bible student, is this. You can't just look at a verse and take it out of context. You look at a verse, then you you, uh, zoom back a little bit, and you look at the chapter that the verse is in. Then you look, zoom back a little bit more, look at the entire book or the letter that the chapter is in, right? Then you look back even further and you look at the entire New Testament, then even further in all of the Old Testament. That's how we study the Bible, okay? So what I need to do right now is we can't just jump into Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and just jump in. Let me give you the context of the entire book of Ephesians that brings us to verse 10. In chapter 1, Paul talks about what God is going to do about the mess that the universe is in. The good news is the brokenness of the universe is going to be reconciled, healed, put back together by Jesus being king over all of creation. Under his dominion and kingship, all of creation is going to be reconciled, healed, and restored. Then chapter 2 and 3, we're told how through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that same kingdom power that is going to renew all of creation comes into us when we place our faith and trust in him. And God reconciles sinners to humanity, Okay, uh, sinful humanity to holy God, and God reconciles sinful humanity to each other, and the result is something beautiful and yet messy called the church. Then Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us about the supernatural life we have with God the Father through Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within us, and we are to walk in a manner worthy. That worthy, we're worthy in Greek is the word which you get access and worthy of our calling that is in purity and light. Paul is saying you're a new creation. You've been redeemed. You've been sealed with the Spirit. You have an inheritance. You are seated in heavenly places in the right hand of God. You are loved more than you will ever be loved, and that's never going to change. So therefore, he says, live in a way where your belief and your behavior tell the same story. He says, Christian, Let your belief system and the way you live tell the same story. Then in chapter 5, Paul explains what being children of light means and what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and what that looks like in various relationships, right? In your marriage, your children, what that looks like with your bosses. Then we come to chapter 6. And Paul, instead of ending with, So, sincerely, your friend Paul... He says what? Chapter 6, verse 10. And now finally. One word, finally. Huge significance. Why? Because what Paul is saying is this. He's saying as you go about living this life worthy of the calling that you've received, I need to tell you something. That life is going to be lived in a hostile environment. That life that you're going to live Worthy of your calling is going to be lived in a hostile environment. You are in a spiritual battle. And unless, Christian, you and I see the context in which God is calling us to live this life, you will not be adequately prepared. The analogy is one in which if you send a group of people to build a fort, you should probably inform them that they're going to be building in enemy territory and that as you're building, you're going to be shot at. Do you think that's important information? Yes. And Paul is saying, 
While you're working, you are going to have enemies who are going to shoot fiery arrows at you. So be alert, be awake, and prepared. Be prepared. You are, Christian, in a spiritual battle. You are, Christian, aware or not, living in a climate where God has saved you, God has redeemed you, and God has given you a life to, 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 for his design and for his best. But you are going to live that in a context, an environment in which there is an angelic being who, when he fell, took a third of the angels with him. And their aim is to kill, to destroy, to knock you out from God's best for you. Aware or not. That is the context that you are living in. And so in verses 10 to 20, Paul begins to lay out what the battle is. He lay out clearly how to fight the battle so that we could actually experience the victory that Christ has already won for us. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to read the entire passage and next week we're going to go verse by verse and highlight some other uh, key principles but I'm going to just read this so you can get a sense of the argument that Paul is making without any breaks okay so as hard as it's going to be for not to make comments here and there about various words and phrases I'm going to just read the whole thing and then we're going to see three overarching principles that Paul gives us for today Ephesians 6 verse 10 be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With this in mind, be alert, be alert, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Three overarching principles. Here's the first one. The Christian life is a fight. The Christian life is a fight. But where do you get that from? Verse 12 of Paul says, for our struggle. That word struggle, it wasn't the normal word for struggle. That word in Greek literally means hand-to-hand -hand combat. Think martial arts, mixed martial arts. Think MMA. That's the image that came to my mind. It was describing Two people in an intense hand-to-hand -hand combat in a to-the-death struggle until one person was pinned down and one person was victorious. That is the word that Paul used to say, that, my friend, is your Christian life. Let me tell you why that is so significant for me. I became a Christian in the 80s, okay? And so my formative years in, as a follower of Jesus was in the 80s and early 90s. 
And when I was growing up, the big term that was used was the word born again. Has anybody else born again? Are you born again? Are you born again? That was the terminology that was used to describe the conversion experience, which is completely biblical. Let me tell you why I struggle with the overusage of that as a metaphor. When you use the birth metaphor in the Christian life as being exclusively the only metaphor, it's natural that we think of your Christian life as being born a spiritual infant and then you ultimately grow into spiritual adulthood, right? And people refer to John chapter 3 where Jesus talks about you must be born again, born of water and spirit, which, which by the way, we're going to talk a little about next week. And even Paul refers to how don't be an infant that's feeding on milk, but eat meat, so on and so forth, right? That's a good, fine metaphor, but follow me now. When you exclusively only focus on the birth metaphor, it envisions your Christian life being one in which you are born in a clean, sanitized, safe environment, surrounded by healthcare professionals who are there to make sure that you are safe and that you're alive, and at every beck and call. I think as valid as that spiritual metaphor is, what's even more accurate when I look at the Bible is that as soon as you're born in Christ, we are not dropped into a maternity ward. We are dropped into a war zone. Do you hear me? When you and I are born, our birthplace is less mother's womb and more battlefield earth. This is, this is absolutely, I know, just kind of paradigm shifting, counterintuitive for some of you. But the image that I have in my mind is not being born in a sanitized, clean, safe hospital. It's like the first opening scene out of that movie, Saving Private Ryan, if anybody has seen it. It is a Christian being born, and you are dropped into a middle of the Allied forces storming the beaches of Normandy. While there are bullets that are being fired at you to kill you. That is the image that I see in Scripture, that when you enter the kingdom of God, there's no safe zone or a waiting room. There really isn't even a boot camp. It's on-the-job training. You're dropped into the middle of a war, into enemy territory, and that enemy has only one aim, to steal, kill, and destroy you, take you out from God's best, and take you out from storming the gates of hell. Now you're going, you're just making this up. Where do you see this? You'd be amazed at how many references in the New Testament you find this. Let me just show you two, one from Jesus and one from Paul. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, Jesus says, but from time of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violent assault. The kingdom of God has been suffering, do you hear these words? Violent assault, and the violent have been seizing it by force. To be born of God, Jesus says, is to be made citizen in the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God, church, is at war. Do not confuse this kingdom with paradise. Salvation is not re-entry into a paradise lost. It is enlistment into a war against powers and principalities. Jesus says in no uncertain terms, you are Christian at war. And then Paul, Colossians 1.13. 
For Christ has rescued us from the dominion, from the reign and rule of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This passage, which you're very familiar with, let me break this down and give you two really sobering truths. Number one is this. The world is divided into two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. But the second truth is this. There are only two humanities in the world, church, those who serve the purpose of the kingdom of God and those who serve the purpose of the kingdom of darkness, to which some of you are going, whoa, 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 whoa. I might not be advancing the kingdom of God, but Peter, I'm not serving the kingdom of darkness. Church, listen to me. Every square inch of creation is either claimed by God or counterclaimed by the enemy. You are either advancing God's kingdom purposes, priorities, or agenda on earth, or you are, yes, in your activity and inactivity, helping Satan advance his kingdom of darkness. Every day that you and I do nothing to fight sin in us, Everything you and I do every day to not fight sin out in the world. Every day you and I do nothing to push back the forces of darkness in our world and live for our comfort, live for our security, live for our convenience, live for our kingdom agenda. We are helping the kingdom of darkness. The Christian life is a fight. When you are taken from the kingdom of darkness, Satan just roll over and play dead. He declares an outright war against you. Where there is progress of the kingdom of God, progress of love, of peace, of grace and justice, there is always, there is always another kingdom at work, opposing forces, counter forces of hate, of fear, of pride, and of lust. Where there is progress, counter attack will always follow. So here's the question that I need you to ask. Is there a fight about your Christian life? Are you experiencing any pushback from the enemy? See, Satan knows there's nothing he can do about your salvation. What he will do is neutralize you and take you out from being effective for the kingdom. So let me ask you again, Christian. Is there a fight about you? Are you alive spiritually? Is there any pushback from the enemy? Could it be that you've been neutralized, that you've been knocked out you know what sin is sin is a narcotic sin lulls you to sleep don't think of sin as this this dark thing sin makes you and i go don't take this christian life thing so seriously don't be so radical Yeah, do the church thing. Give a little bit here and there and stay away from big sins. But you know, take it easy. There's always tomorrow. Everybody does it. It'll be okay. Listen, and this is so convicting for me. Do you remember when you first became a Christian? Or do you remember those seasons when you were awakened to the seriousness of sin? 
Do you remember those seasons when you were so committed to making specific changes in your life? Do you remember how that sin in your life bothered you so much that you wept over it? You wept over it. And you fought it. And you fought it. Do you remember those seasons in your life where you couldn't get enough of the word and prayer? Not because of some legalistic reasons like that's what a good Christian does, but because you love Jesus. You fought every day to get up in the morning or at some point to say, I have to do this. Not for legalistic reasons, but because this is a matter of spiritual life and death. Do you remember how there was a fight? Do you remember how you we're so excited about sharing the gospel with people that didn't know Jesus. Because you literally realized that their eternity hung in the balance. Do you remember, Christian, how there was a fight about you and about me? Let me ask you something. What happened to you? What happened to you? What is a normal Christian life? If the normal Christian life is what Jesus talks about is outlined in scriptures, I sometimes go, am I living the normal Christian life? Or I wonder sometimes, Peter, have you been neutralized? Have you been knocked out? Have you? There is this uh, picture in the Old Testament that for me captures what it looks like to be neutralized and knocked out. 2 Samuel chapter, one, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men, and the whole Israelite army, they, this Israelite me, destroy the Ammonites. But David remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. Here's a question. What is a fierce warrior king doing around lounging in his pajamas during time of war? What is a warrior king during time of war doing lounging around in his pajamas? And do you know how that passage ends? From the roof then he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. In verse 3, David sent someone to find out about her. And you know the rest of the story. The Christian life is a fight. You're not just a child. You are a warrior. Is there any fight in you? Second, and I'll be quick about this because we're going to delve this into more next week. The Christian life isn't just a fight. The Christian life is a multidimensional fight. Verse 12, Paul says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says our hand-to-hand combat is not with circumstances, it's not with people, it's not with organizations, it's not with systems and institutions. The struggle, listen, is not a material issue. If all you see is what you see, you will never see all that there is to be seen. Let me say that again. If all that you see is what you see, 
you will never see all that there is to be seen. Do you really think that the problems that you're having is just about your spouse, just about your children, just about your boss, just about your illness, circumstances? Do you really think that those symptoms that are easy to see is all that there is? In case someone is, 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 is saying, but Peter, are you, are you just saying everything is of the devil? Let me be absolutely, utterly clear, and we're going to come back to this next week. There is evil within me. There is the flesh, the old man that is still dying in the press of being sanctified, that wars against the spirit. Why am I messed up? I'll tell you why I'm messed up. Because I'm dishonest with myself. Because I struggle with bitterness and unforgiveness. Because I envy. Because I cling to things I shouldn't. Because I find my identity and worth in worthless idols. There is evil within me. And yes, there is also evil without me or outside of me. We live in a fallen world. Yes, our spouse has sinned against us. Our parents have sinned against us. Our boss has sinned against us. That particular group sinned against us. Yes, there are institutions and systems that sin against us. But having said all of that, there is also evil above me. There is evil. There is a hierarchy of powers and principalities that aggravates, that coordinates, and that manages the evil within you and the evil outside of you. Do you hear me? Until you and I recognize the multidimensional nature of the evil in the world, we will never understand its depth, its pervasiveness, and ultimately be ill-equipped to deal with the roots of the problems at hand. Do you really, really think that racism is just about people and institutions? Come on, somebody. Do you really think that it's just about people and systems? Do you not see that there are powers and principalities and evil spirits behind the people, behind the unjust and oppressive systems and policies? White supremacy is based on a lie. And the devil is the father, the Bible said, of what? Lies. Lies are his native tongue. You and I do not fight against flesh and blood. We are fighting against systems of powers and principalities and evil spirits. It's as much spiritual warfare as it is activism and advocacy. Mark chapter 9. Verse 29, Jesus is coming down from Mount of Transfiguration and a man comes up and says, Lord Jesus, help me. Your disciples have tried to cast out the demon from my child. They can't. What does Jesus say? Do you remember? He says what? This kind only comes out by prayer and what? Fasting. There's some things, he says, without prayer and fasting, it's not possible you're not dealing with material issues only when it comes to the evils of racism the challenge is powers and principalities that hold influence in our darkened hearts and darkened society if all you see is what you see you will never see all that there is to be seen there is much more to it than meets the eye the flesh and blood behind war behind poverty behind racism behind addictions behind all of these things is not just flesh and blood listen think about some of you addictions and habits that you've struggled with 
Think about deep-seated issues of hurt that happened years ago that you just can't get over. Think about some of you for whom the shame over you, what something you've done just paralyzes you to your core. Think about relationships that no matter how hard you try, just can't seem to be reconciled. Think about all of those things, and I want you to ask, would you just consider that maybe there is an adversary? Maybe there is an enemy that's seeking to destroy you that is not just about him or her, education, broken family, systems, and institutions. Lastly, we don't fight for victory, but we fight from victory. Can I get an amen? This is an overarching principle that we're going to come around to again and again and again. So I want to be able to say this as we close today. We don't fight for victory. We fight from, and that is, please hear me, that's not some cute preacher thing to say, you know. This is rock-solid truth that you and I have to come around again and again. Now let me clear up a couple of things real quick. There is no struggle between God and powers of darkness. This isn't Hollywood, somebody, can anybody? This isn't Hollywood. There's no tug-of-war between God and Satan. Come on, somebody, Okay. There's no tug of war. Satan is a created being who has fallen. He's on par with Michael the angel. There is no, there's no war between God and Satan. Come on. Satan has already been defeated. And he only exists, and I can't we talk about this. Satan only exists to be the training ground for the people of God who will reign with God for all of eternity. All right? That's why he exists. You don't have to be afraid. Did you know that God designed humanity to destroy the powers and works of darkness and creation? That was our assignment. That was the assignment given to Adam and Eve. But we forfeited that assignment when we fell into sin. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, I love that name. Jesus Christ took on flesh and defeated the enemy and handed us the keys to his victory. All right? Colossians 2.14, having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, verse 15, and having disarmed, disarmed the powers, authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. There is no suspense in the kingdom about how this ends. None. There is no suspense. We're not trying to win. The battle is already won. We're not fighting for victory we're fighting from. We're just appropriating the victory that Jesus secured for us. There's so many verses that I'm going to have you and me memorize in this, in this series, okay, that gets to this truth. Here's one, 1 John 4, 4. But you belong to God, child of God. You've already won a victory over those people because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You need not be afraid. Satan should be running from Christians, not Christians from Satan. The fear of God, not the fear of the devil, is the beginning of wisdom. At the cross, Jesus destroyed, disarmed the works of the devil. We are victors in Christ, and we have the power and resources, the Bible says, we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, to overcome the enemy. We are called to appropriate the victory that Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation, has won for us. We are fighting for victory and not from. Having said all that, this side of heaven, you are 
and I am in an unseen battle. It's dangerous to just talk about our victory when some of us are doing the same things over and over and over and over again. So let me end with this. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let me end with this. Let me end with this. On one hand, we are victorious in Christ. All the resources and power is available to us. We can and we shall overcome. And at the same time, be awake. Be alert. He's not playing tag. He is out to destroy and to devour you, your marriage, our church, and God's good creation. He's smart. He's powerful. He knows you. He has studied you. And he will wait a long time to inflict maximum destruction. That is who we're dealing with. So church, as we begin this journey, I want you to pray with me as we spend some time lifting up not just you and me, but also lifting up our church in this season. That we would be awake. That we would be alert. And that there would be a fight about us in this unseen battle. Let's pray together.